Wednesday evening. This week is Shabbos, Pashas, Nitzavim. Nitzavim alone. Shabbos, Shabbos, Varchem, Achedesh, Chedesh, Tishrei. Today, Chafei El. Happy birthday to the world. Day that the world was born or the world was actually created. Based, of course, on the opinion that Adam Arishan was born or created on Rosh Hashanah. When we say Atim Nitzavim Hayyim Kulchem, we know that Hayyim, according to opinions, refers to the day of Rosh Hashanah. And Nitzavim Kulchem shows the unity of Kal Yisrael that we don't differentiate what type of hat or what type of job or what type of existence a Jew lives. Rather, we are kulchem, we are a unit, we are one, we are united. And it would almost fit the paraphrase of united we stand, the chasashon divided we fall. Shabbos Mavarachim Chedesh Tishrei A Shabbos Mavarachim that we ourselves do not bench Tresh Chedesh but rather the Almighty the Abishter himself benches the Chedesh and the Tresh Chedesh of course being Reish Hashanah. <coughs> Interestingly, throughout Nitzavim, we are given different life lessons. And as it comes towards the end of the Pashas Nitzavim, The Almighty tells us, I'm giving before you the good, the bad, the life and death, the freedom of choice. But I'm letting you know that if you complete my commandments, you, com- you go in my ways, all will be beautiful, and God forbid the other way around, God forbid the consequence. Ultimately, the Rebishter says, 
Choose life. Choose life so that you may live. Choose life so that you may exist. Then becomes the main question of life. Is not everything predestined? Does the Abishta not know exactly what's going to happen with each and every one of us? With that being the case, what choice do I really have? Or do I have a really do I indeed have a choice? We have two illustrations that perhaps can explain the basis of this belief. If we have a person that can foretell future, he'll tell you what's going to happen. And he tells you this and this is going to be with your life. Does that deter you from doing anything else? No. You go on and live the way you've been living till now. The famous story with Rashi, when the emperor left the city for war, and he said, what gate will I enter the city upon return? In essence, the question really to Rashi was, will I return? But he decided to re-fortify that by hearing Rashi's answer and Rashi told him that a king enters through its own gate through his new gate so when the king did return from battle he didn't know what Rashi meant does it mean I'll go through this gate through that gate back and forth and finally he got fed up with the indecisiveness and he told his men to break another hole in the wall and indeed entered the new gate. So the person, although he hears from somebody a predetermined, predestined life, he can choose his own volition. So the fact that the Abish, that God Almighty knows what's going to be in your life, <coughs> does not deprive you of freedom of choice. It just knows, tells you how God knows how you're going to react. In other words, the opposite of free choice is not pre-knowledge. The opposite of free choice is compulsion. Because there is knowledge that doesn't have compulsion. And therefore, you're not compelled to do such a thing. And that is the knowledge of the past. If I know something that happened in the past, 
I'm not compulsed to do anything about that. It doesn't mean anything that came about with that. What was that? Actually, I know what it was. Okay. It's the Skype on my phone. Since someone called in on Skype, it went to my phone as well. Welcome aboard over there. Welcome back from your summer vacations. Secondly, every believer in God, not only Jews, believes that when it comes to God, past, present, future, all the same. Because God Himself is above time and space. When it comes to human affairs, if a person knows everything that happened in someone else's past, it does not change his own past. And so, the same way God's knowledge of the future does not change the actual person's future. Now, in essence, it's a very difficult and um, philosophical concept and question of an ongoing conversation that can probably go on for days and nights and not really get to the bottom of it. Of which is, if God knows our future, God knows ultimately what will happen to us, why do we have to live our life and where is our freedom of choice? What is freedom of choice? However, from this we see that in essence God is not affecting our future by His knowledge. God's knowledge of what's going to happen to us, what will become of us, is not the predetermined, the predestined existence that we live. We don't live a predestined existence. (coughs) We live a life of which we have to constantly form and formulate our existence. Thereby, not taking for granted anything that we do or say, not taking for granted anything that we, any action that we do or any action that we interact with, we exist or coexist with, but rather knowing that we have full potential with every move of our joints, every, even every thought, to cause 
positive existence, coexistence in the world. And that is our lesson now as we enter Rosh Hashanah. We embark on the days of Rosh Hashanah. We begin to reflect as we know that from Chayel, although I was remiss in mentioning this last week, from Chayel to Rosh Hashanah, 12 days. Each one of those days we are obligated to do tshuva for a month of the past year. Which would mean Chayel, we did tshuva for Tishrei last year, Yutes for Chesron, etc. <coughs> In retrospect, we also feel and understand that we are constantly responsible for everything that we've said and done. Especially the things that we cannot take back. But we learn in the davening, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, by the holy prayer of the Nasana Tekev, The prayer of the Nisanatekif was written by a martyr who ultimately was literally carried with decapitated legs. I don't know if you decapitate a leg, you can only decapitate a head probably. He had his legs were unfortunate were cut off and the bleeding stumps he sat in front of the Anakadish and Kippur amputated is the word, thank you. And it composed this prayer of an Asana Ultimately, we know the last line, Shuva, Tvila, Utsidaka, Mavirin Esreya Gzeda. The three things that remove the decrees, the evil decrees Shuva, repentance, Tefila, prayer. Tzedakah, charity. We derive from this, says the the Medrash. It's not enough just to repent. We have to add, we have to add to it both prayer and charity. And the Medish says, Azal, and the Medish, and a very, very intriguing one. The Almighty takes a bribe from the wicked in this world. 
What is their bribe? Tshuva. Maisim tevim tefillah. Repentance, good deeds, and prayers. Now that's a very, very shocking medish. Since we know that the whole way of forgiving of a sin is through repentance. If that is the case, why do we have to come on to also the tshuva has to be added, the maizim tevim and the tefillah, the good deeds and the prayer. The concept of tshuva and the repair which a person goes through has to do directly with the person. It repairs the the imperfection that the sin has caused. I mean, if the person totally repents from his sin, then he now is totally remorseful of the sin, and he's repaired the, the damage that it done. But when it comes to the actual existence of the world, that the person now is affected because of the sin, Shuva does not actually fix this. Does not complete, does not add to everything that has been lacking. And so too, I'm not a leader, so. And so too when it comes to the imperfection of a person through a sin. Tshuva is not what makes it and fixes it. The person's portion of the world to come is not repaired when the person does tshuva. In the writings of the Rizal is brought down And the famous story of the Taner Belaza ben Derdoya, ben Derdaya, who also died doing tshuva. He cried to death. Whatever reason it was, he cried himself to death in repentance to all the sins that he had horrifically committed but he still was not fit to come into the world to come to the Elam Haba because he did not have the maizim tevim, the good deeds that needed to be done but still in all he was ready to go into Elam Haba, how so? Now we have to begin to understand what the Nisham is all about. The source of the Nishama, as the Al-Tarebbe says in the beginning of Tanya, is a chelik eleka mimal mamish. It's part of God. There are Nishamas, as we know, for example, the Nisham of Shmuel Hanavi, which is very directly connected 
to Rosh Hashanah, as we're going to mention, <coughs> as we're soon going to talk about. That was an obnoxious question. <laughs> returned into a, returned in Eliezer ben Azariah. And that's why when we read the Haggadah on Pesach, and Eliezer ben Azariah says, Hare'ani ki'ven shivim shana, I am like I am 70 years of age. And he was only 18 years of age. Because he had the Nisham of Shmuel Hanavi who passed away at 52. Elazar ben Dudayah had the neshama of Yechanan Ken Gadol. The high priest Yechanan served for 80 years as high priest and then reverted to become a tzeduki. I don't remember the English translation to tzedukim. But it's got a pH in it, and it's got some, a whole bunch of different vowels. But the tzedukim turned everything over. They took mitzvahs, such as tzitzis, and hung the tzitzis on the wall of their house. They said, since the terrorist says by tzitzis, you should see them, then it's important to see them, and they hung the tzitzis on the wall. But because he served 80 years as a king Gadol and amassed all the mice and Tevim, they stood in his stead. And since Elazar ben Dodiah did a proper tshuva and was only lacking the mice and Tevim, it is the same neshama being prepared for the world to come. And therefore, he was allowed to go into Elam Haba. So we see therefore how the Maisentevim Tzedakah and the Tzvila in order to fulfill what is lacking so that a person can get his Sadducees. It's not a PH, right? The Sadducees is what they were called. It's Dukim. Thanks, Google. Google Translator. Said it's Sadducees, S A D U C E S. On Rosh Hashanah, we blow Shafer, which is Mitzvah Hayyim. On Rosh Hashanah, the Mitzvah of the day, the Shashanah of Kiyas Shafer which we're soon going to discuss the potency behind it. In the Tvila we find there are three acceptances, three portions. There's Malchus, say the Malchi Yisenu, Zechreinus, and Shephus. And the Musaf prayer is divided in these three. And as we blow the Shafer by Musaf, we say the prayer of Areshes Sifasenu. And we say the Malchi Yesenu, say the Shafer Yesenu, etc. 
three parts, the portions of Shemona Esrei, of Musaf, that complete Seder Malchus, is the Pasuk Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elekeinu, Hashem Echot. But in the word, in the words of this psukim, we do not have the word, the concept of malchus whatsoever. But yet, the pasuk itself represents malchus. So, in general, this is a very shocking thing. Why is it that the prayer of malchus, malchus? Which we know that everything goes according to the end, to the last portion. So, why would the end of a portion of Malchus be Why would they be at the end? Of the, why would the pasuk, which is the most important pasuk, the last pasuk, be Shema Yisrael, which has nothing to do with Malchus? Yeah. Yes. We can explain this probably. What is the reason for saying these Psukim of Malchus? The Almighty tells us, say these Psukim of Malchus, so I can ultimately rule over you. I become your king. The Gemara brings down in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. And he explains in this, the service of a Jew, to make the Almighty King over him, is to accept the yoke, the heavenly yoke of the Almighty. Until so much so that a person totally nullifies their self-existence before the Almighty. Since, therefore, that the concept of Malchus is Bittl B'Metzius, a totally nullification of the person before the king, we find, therefore, the opposite. How would one complete Psukim of Malchus, of accepting the Almighty as our king, would be Dafku with the Pasuk Shema Yisrael. What is the actual essence of the Pasuk Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echot? 
Hashem Echad tells us that the Almighty is Achtus Hashem. Is one, the oneness of God. Which means to say, the true existence of the Almighty is the concept of His oneness. And there is no other existence besides He. So much so, we cannot exist without the Yerushalayim giving us existence. Although we wake up in the morning and we say, May the Ani, and we function on a daily basis, and we are under the impression of the assumption that as long as we exercise and diet right, we will live forever. The Pasuk Shema Yisrael tells us, no. The actus of the Almighty, the oneness, is what gives us alive. I spoke yesterday on a Pirash Hashanah visit to several offices. And yesterday, for those of us that know the date... Yesterday was September 11th. 11 years from September 11th, 2011. Excuse me. 2001. And I asked a question. When I mentioned September 11th to you, what comes to mind? And it's obviously a rhetorical question. What comes to mind is the horrific atrocity that they repeated today. In 2012, another attack on an embassy. The world stands still. So when one reflects on 2000, September 11th, 2001, we get sad. We become depressed. We revert and we become frightened to say, what has this world become? But truthfully, truthfully, not only in the Arab towns and the Arab cities, you will find many people celebrating and rejoicing on September 11th. Although the world at large saw the tragedy of September 11th. There were many people that saw the direct hand of God on September 11th. (coughs) That saw God direct and redirect you. So that 
Today, you are here to tell the story. We obviously don't have nearly enough of those stories documented. As years will go by, as, a, as are the stories of the Holocaust, where all the miracles that happened, the people that miraculously escaped, and now they will tell you as many books have been written about the miracles that people went through in the Holocaust. The Holy Blue Rebbe was being carted off on a wagon of dead bodies. They felt, they thought he was dead as well, they threw him on the wagon. When one of his Hasidim saw he was there, he could not cope with that. No matter what the punishment would be, he ran over to the wagon and grabbed the foot of his Rebbe to Daven. And to say, Rebbe, you're going up to heaven. Daven for us. Get us out. Let us survive. But as he grabbed the foot of the Rebbe, he felt the Rebbe's foot was warm. Which showed that he was still alive. Immediately, miraculously, with nobody seeing, he removed the body from the wagon and revived him. And the Blizzard lived to tell this story. So when it comes to a September 11th, where we think about the, the thousands of people that were killed, the horrific fashion in which was, it was done, the breach of security, the breach of confidence, the breach of, of humanity, of looking back and saying, how can a human being actually do this? Take an airplane and fly it into the World Trade Center. Destroy two pillars of buildings that represented so much. And destroy the thousands of people that were inside it. But what we don't look at, and what we don't reflect upon is all those people that had these amazing, phenomenal miracles when the Almighty opened His hands and took these people on them and carried them away from this actual to avert this actual tragedy whether it be the young girl that didn't have money to get tights and she had a run in her tights on the train. And she, her brother worked in the World Trade Center. So she got off the train there and she called her brother and said, Get down here, quick. I need money for tights. And he said, I just got here to work. You're crazy, I'm not coming down. And after a while, he obviously he had to acquiesce because little sisters can be very pesky. And as he came down to give her the money, the plane took over his office. Or the story of the fellow that was in Boston. 
and left his twillin on the chair in the lounge. And was on the plane with a closed door and started screaming and yelling, No, I can't leave without my twillin. And they said, The door is closed, we don't open it for anybody, so you're going to have to open it because my twillin are there. And he fought tooth and nail, and the pilot himself came out and screamed at him, berated him, and told him, you're getting off the plane, you're not coming back on. And he said, that's, whatever happens, happens. I cannot leave my tefillin behind. And he jumped off, the, they opened the door for him. He ran out of the plane, they closed the door, and the pilot immediately backed out. And, that was one of the planes that and he left him in Boston with his tefillin, and took his plane to the World Trade Center. These are two stories that just come to mind. It's not that jumping out at you on the paper. But how many people knew these stories? Except for the people now that are going to hear this year. Who knows how many people are going to know it tomorrow. When we reflect on uh, September 11th, the Navi tells us, We don't say, Oh, those poor people that died. We say, We did not die, and look at those who didn't die. What is our mission? Why were we left here in this world to continue? What are we looking, what are we supposed to accomplish? This too, is how Shema Yisrael is the last pasuk of say the Malchus. The essence, the tachlis hashlemus of how a person can ultimately become totally nullified to the Almighty, to the King of God of Heaven is when a person doesn't make a metzius of himself. A person doesn't make an existence of himself. Doesn't, he leaves his ego elsewhere. And therefore, what is here? What is existing here in this room? Hashem Himself. Only the King. The other psukim of Malchus which mention actually kingship of the Almighty, telling us how the king is different than the king of a human being, thereby when a king is a rule over a nation, he's ruling a nation of people that consider themselves a nation of people, consider themselves an entity of their own, They bow down to the king. They will become subservient to the king. But they themselves are a they. They are something. Therefore the Pasuk Shema Yisrael. Hero Israel. Is the true completion of this. The Indian, the entire concept of Malchus. We mentioned before 
This Shabbos is Mevarachim Achedish Tishrei. We do not say the blessing of Eshchedish. Davening will be just like regular, except for the Minig, the Chabad, and I don't know who else does. We say the entire Tehillim in the morning. Shabbos morning, instead of going to shul 10 o'clock, we're in shul 8.30. 8.30 the minion starts, and we say the entire Tehillim. And thereafter, we daven. So davening is 10.30 instead of 10 o'clock. It's nowhere near as glamorous as it sounds. 10.30 shachas, you still got to be up. And me, I personally have to be up a lot earlier than that, because if I don't stop my tillum, by 10 to 8, I'm, I'm finished. I'm just never going to get to Davani. And i got to say Kaddish. Anyway, Samavarcham HaChedish is benched by the Almighty, and this fact that the Almighty blesses this month on this Shabbos gives us, the Jewish people, the potency to be able to bench the rest of the months of the year. All the other months that the Shabbos before, Rish Chaydish, we bench, we bless the new month. This only can become because the Almighty blesses the first month. Now let us examine a name that's so, so taken for granted. I was in Manhattan today in a few places when the mention of Rosh Hashanah comes up. We still have those Goyim that say what, what holiday is coming up. But here we had the Goyim that actually said Rosh Hashanah. They knew and recognized Rosh Hashanah. But in essence, Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. If you want to refer to the beginning of the year, let's look at the, non, the secular calendar, January 1st. It's called New Year's Day. Is it called Head of Year Day? No, it's called New Year's Day. So where does the name Rosh Hashanah come from versus... Because after all, all it marks is the beginning of the year. The ex- oh, we have one cat by this year today. No, this is a, a New York one. The explanation to this, in essence... Rosh Hashanah is is similar to a head over a body. Just like the head gives life to the entire body, to all the organs of the body, sends messages to everything how it has to function, so too Rosh Hashanah gives that same inspiration to the entire year. 
and thereby we then see the rest of the days of the year. Based on that, we are saying therefore that every moment of Rosh Hashanah is precious. It's not a regular day. It's a day that we have to see to, that we use and utilize every second, the Kamas and the Echos. The Kamas, the quantity here, it's very short, it's only two days. And it's 360 plus days that it has to take care of. The Echos, the real existence is like that of the complications of a mind. Which if a person has a complete mind or if God forbid he doesn't have it affects the entire body. When the entire mind is working properly the reflexes work properly and the person can act and react properly. Masha'en Kain, who God forbid, there's a problem with the mind, with the brain, then there's a problem with everything in the body. This is therefore one of the reasons that our masters, our teachers, warned us to cherish the time of the days of Rosh Hashanah. Because these hours and moments are general hours and moments. And these hours and moments of the 24 hours, the 48 hours of Rosh Hashanah are going to be covering for the entire year. We mentioned before Shmuel Hanavi. The Haftorah of Rosh Hashanah tells us the story of Elkanah every year would travel to the Holy Temple to do the mitzvah of Aliyah Leregel. Teirah tells us, Shalish Pomen Bashana, Yeroa calls the The Almighty, you will be able to see everything as you come up to be Eileregel. It's the mitzvah of Ria. He would come to the Mishkan in Shilai. And the story is told of Elkanah would go and travel every year a different route with his family. He had two wives, Chana and Penina. And as he would travel his route each year, a different route, so that he would always amass more people to join on his journey, to come with him to Shilai. However, Chana was barren. She was not blessed with children, And Eli HaKayin was at that time the high priest. Saw Chana praying. And ultimately, we're not going to go through the entire conversation. Ultimately, he blessed her with a child. To which she said he, she would dedicate him to the temple. However... 
When a year later she was blessed with little baby Shmuel, she did not come to Shilai. She said to her man, her husband, Adi Gomel Hanar, till I can raise him. Then I will bring him to see the face of God. A tremendous lesson is taught to us from this. When one comes to be Eleregel, when one came to the Holy Temple, they merited to see revelations of godliness that we never could see anywhere else. As brought down in the Chazal, on the Gemara Chagiga, right in the beginning, when it refers to the Pasuk Yerah called Zechurcha. Chana was a prophetess. Again, the Gemara Megillah tells us, on the first side of the Ahmed 14, Chana was a prophetess and definitely it is known to us that when she came to be Eleregel when she came to the Holy Temple she saw a lot of holy revelations but still at all Chana oh look here we have a guest Chana deprived herself of these revelations Deprived herself of these revelations for a very, very, very wonderful reason to be with her son Shmuel. She would not leave him with a babysitter, she would not leave him with a nanny. She said, My child needs to be raised by me. And although I'm sacrificing a tremendous amount, I'm sacrificing the revelations of godliness which I see when I come to the Holy Temple. This is more important. And the lesson Chana teaches us how great it is to educate our children. It's even greater than going to see the revelations in the Holy Temples. Holy Temple. Since she herself was involved with the education of her child, she could do nothing else. She could now leave it to somebody else that might, God forbid, make it worse. Even for a short time. She could not, in any which way or form, sacrifice the education of her child. And for this she was prepared to totally, totally give up the highest level of spirituality. I'd like to go over a few minutes now, Rosh Hashanah itself. Sunday is Erev Rosh Hashanah. 
For those of us that started Slichus last Matzah Shabbos, last Saturday night, for the Achenu Masfardim that started on Rosh Chodesh El. Erev Rosh Hashanah, Slichus is substantially longer. In Slichus, of course, we still say Tachlan, although Erev Rosh Hashanah we don't say Tachlan. Slichus, please check your local times, because generally shuls, whatever time they start at Slichus this week, they're going to start Erev Rosh Hashanah earlier, although it's Sunday, not a work day. The Mincha prior to Erev Rosh Hashanah, we still say Tachnun. Although usually, the day that we don't say Tachnun, Mincha beforehand we don't say Tachnun either. The day before Erev Rosh Hashanah we do. On Erev Rosh Hashanah itself we do not say Tachnun as we said. We don't say Lam Natseach. And we don't say either Tfilah David. We start from Beisachiv. We have been blowing Shefer every day in Chedesh El to awaken the people for Tshuva to prepare us for the Holy Day. We also added three Kapitlach Tehillim as we said every day dividing up the entire Tilim to complete it on Yom Kippur. Erev Rosh Hashanah we do not blow Shefer. If somebody is going to be about the Kea on Rosh Hashanah and needs to practice Erev Rosh Hashanah, he should lock himself away in a room. Hmm? Should do it privately, in other words. Why not? Why not supposed to? Why don't we blow Erev Rosh Hashanah? <laughs> Truthfully, to confuse the Satan. The Satan. The Shefa on Rosh Hashanah also is showing a significant... One of the significances of the Shefa is showing the victory which we have conquered over the Satan. And he fears that. And therefore it is said that the Satan tries to even get into the Shofar so the blast should not come out clear. Which is a miracle that happens to the Satan on Rosh Hashanah that we blow Shafer from the small side not from the big side so he can try to squeeze himself in from the big big opening if we blew the opposite and he have to squeeze himself in from the small opening he would choke never mind okay, okay. it was a joke <laughs> I'm still confused and he's telling jokes that I should be confused okay. every Shoshana though we stop and the Satan is caught off guard. He's hearing the Shafer, hearing the Shafer. And all of a sudden, boom, dead end. So he figures they finished. I'm safe. The Comes next the next day. day. That's when the blasts come. A hundred blasts that come out just drives him crazy. And hopefully destroys that's him. That's in the Marev or in the morning? No, by day. Okay. So Rosh Hashanah will be Sunday night 
will be the first night of Rosh Hashanah. Candle lighting will be Sunday evening. And then Monday, the mitzvah is to be in shul to hear the shayfa. Anytime before Shkir? Yeah. Okay. And then Tuesday as well. It is customary to give tzedakah on every Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Tev. Erev Shoshana, we should see that you try to give early. So that the person that is gathering the tzedakah should be able to use it. Those people have a custom to fast Erev Shoshana until Mincha. Today's day and age it's very difficult for people to do so. It is a custom to go on Erev Shoshana to the grave of a tzaddik. So we will be going in Yetz Hashem to the Ohel, of course. Anyone that wants to send letters that can't get to the Ohel, please feel free to email us. So you're going Sunday? I'm happy to be going, I happen to be going tomorrow as well, but yeah, Sunday. I have uh, a few people, I'm meeting a few people, no, Sunday. I'm meeting a few people tomorrow in the Ohel, actually. Um, the famous story of a Hasidish shtetl. It was only Hasidim in the whole shtetl. 20, 30 families, they were all Hasidim. One day a Misnagid came to town. And the Misnagid is somebody that antagonizes and tries to show that the Hasidim are off their minds, basically. And the Misnagid came to town, he started to show them how they're lacking. When they would say, when they were davening, and they would say Kriya Shema. No matter how long it took for the Chassid to say it, the Misnagid saw to it. He said another few minutes. When it came to Shmonesrei, no matter how long the Chassidim stood Shmonesrei, the Misnagid stood another few minutes. And everything the Misnagid tried to outdo the Chassidim. So went on for a complete day. That night, Yimsnagid checked into his inn, to his hotel, and he suddenly had a nocturnal visit. Three burly chassidim entered his room with ropes and knives. And he was shocked. He was petrified. So what's going on here? Frumid doesn't kill another Jew. And they explained, they explained, Erev Rosh Hashanah, it's brought down in Shulchan Arach, you go to the cave of a tzaddik. However, in our town, our cemetery, we, have, we don't have any tzaddikim buried. Huh? Is what? Want a party? We don't have a grave for a tzaddik. And since you proved yourself to be a tzaddik, we don't want to let you leave. We're going to kill you and bury you in our town so we can have the grave of a tzaddik to visit on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Immediately, this Musnagid started to confess to all his sins and all his iniquities. 
to prove that he wasn't a tzaddik to save his life. It's customary to do hatadas in the darim erev Rosh Hashanah. Nullification of the vows that we made throughout the year. Preferable that it's done in front of ten people, which means eleven people in a group. One of them stands up and says the hatadas nedarim, and the rest of them say that all has been nullified for you. Just as we have done it here on this world, so too, Bezna Shalmaila nullifies any of your oaths. You can do that all day, actually. It's usually done after Shachas. You can do it with three people as well. It doesn't have to be ten. It's preferably ten, though. The instructions and actually what has to be said are basically in any basic normal sitter. It is fit for each person to give before Rosh Hashanah, to take to heart, to organize, and to know exactly where the tefillah is, how the davening goes, to look through his marks and make sure he has all the pages. Try not to talk too much, especially not Lashon Hara. If you do buy a new matzah, you should make sure beforehand all the pages are separated. You don't have to start tearing pages in Roshana. Anshe Meissen and Chsidim have a minig, a custom, to buy a knife on Erev Rosh Hashanah. This is a school of a panosah. You buy a new knife. I can tell you how many new knives I have in the house. So far, the schooler is working in a strange way. They put on, of course, the white parechis in the shul and the white cover for the bima. We prepare ourselves new fruits. On the first night after Kiddush, we take the fruit and we make the bracha and prior to eating the fruit the apple, excuse me the apple dipped in honey prior to eating the apple dipped in honey we say the Yehiratsin although we don't ever make a separation between the bracha and eating but this we do So that the blessing, the prayer that we say should come into fruition is very important, therefore we are even allowed to make the hefsik. Mincha of Rosh Hashanah is the last mincha of the year, as is tonight's last year of the year for Tavshin Ayim Beis. 
And obviously it's a mitzvah to say Shmanesa a little longer than we usually do. We'll cut it at this point, all the halachas. Anyone who wants to go over the rest of the halachas of Hilchus Hashan is welcome to tap in and talk, talk and call later. For this point, I'd like to wish everybody a Ksiva, a Ksima Teva, a Shana Teva Masuka, a year of prosperity, happiness, Nachas, Gizunt, health. And we should all be able to share in each other's Simchas this year. And it should be ultimate Simcha, the Simcha Amitis Vashlema. Ayyadei Mashiach Tzidkenu Bimheira V'yameinu We should hear the Shefer Godel the Cheroseinu the blast of the Shefer of Mashiach to take us out of this Golis before Rosh Hashanah Shana Tova Shabbat Shalom to all